Beth. And I'm Jamie. Welcome to Driver Picks the Podcast, where I pick the podcast. And I shut my cake on. And today we are joined by an extra special guest. We have KJ from Supernatural Opinions and Wayward Parents. I'm so happy to be back. We're so very excited to have you, especially for this episode. I love this episode and I'm so excited to talk to you about it. <laughs> but today we are going to be discussing the third episode of season six called The Third Man. Jamie, KJ, what did you think? Usually when I'm here, I'm here to yell at a John Winchester or like have a deep thought and like maybe I have a deep thought this week, but like the reason I'm here is talking about how buffers save actually. I feel like this episode is the best episode to to give us an answer. Up close the person with every muscle Jerry had like he could ever possibly have. <laughs> Jamie, any thoughts on how buff Sam is actually? <laughs> Here's the thing. I watched this episode late last night and I am blanking on what you're actually fucking talking about. I just don't oh, know about the like, whole pull-up situation and the push-up. At the very start of the episode, actually, I wanted to talk about this anyway. First five minutes. <laughs> There's this very fun montage where, like, Dean is, like, getting out of the car and, like, doing the most bare minimum fucking stretching, fully clothed in a leg after sleeping in a car. And then it cuts to Sam, who's, like, clearly spent the night in a hotel and he's, like, shirtless and he's, like, sweating doing a pre-morning workout. He's doing pull-ups off an exposed pipe in the mot- on the motel ceiling. <laughs> Which just feels inherently dangerous. See, because here's the thing. I was so distracted in that scene because Jared felt like he's acting is so bad in that scene. <laughs> I focused on nothing else. I actually disagree with you, but I can't really elaborate too hard on it. <laughs> I also disagree with you, Jamie, and I agree with Beth. Jared felt like he's making very intentional acting choices. Mm-hmm. I will say though the bad acting did inspire some theories. Okay, cool. <laughs> the, the man has no emotion, and you guys are telling me that it's intentional. So I think this inherently supports my theory that this is meant to be like an indication that something bad happened to him in hell, and that's why he doesn't want to talk about it. And like it has inherently limited his range of emotions for one reason or another. Like he has been pulled out of heaven, and he is not the same as he used to be. Because I think that is also pretty heavily supported later on. And so this is where my first like real true theory of the season comes in. Oh, exciting. The first theory of Gamble Era. First theory of Gamble Era. It's an event. <laughs> I want to say though, this is half a joke though. Okay? okay. That's how it starts. It's always a fucking joke with you. This is how I know if KJ and I are about to be traumatized. <laughs> and I'm going to point this out to you because I have put it in my notes. Okay? okay. So I want proof that even before you guys confirm some things, I had the note, if the plot twist is Sam doesn't have a soul this season, I will riot. <laughs> I love that I do be rioting just by yourself. Yeah. Like that happened 15 years ago. <laughs> we get the really on-the-nose conversation this episode too about like who owns a soul and how souls are the most valuable things these days. It's like, okay, well, what could be describing this behavior? They've sort of given us like nebulous ideas of what a soul is, what it's used for, the importance of it, the difference that a soul makes. So if the plot twist is leading up to Sam actually no longer has a soul because when he was pulled from the cage, he lost his soul in the process. And that's why Lucifer's still trapped there because it was linked to his soul and not his physical body or whatever the fuck they decide to do with it. I will be mad because that is so fucking (laughs) stupid. I love that you're you're making predictions now with the caveat of whether or not you will be angry. Long way from from where they started when you first had predictions. The prediction-making process. <laughs> I feel like it's gotten much more emotional for you. <laughs> I also think this episode, we get a very clear, like, setup for the season. Like, I think the first two episodes of season six sort of suffer a little bit because it's kind of, like, vague and unclear what they're planning on doing with the system. And I think that was an intentional choice. I just don't necessarily think I personally like it. I think it's also a thing we've talked about a lot, which is that they had to open up from season five, Mm. which was always going to be a hard task. Yeah, it's a rough go. Personally, I think that, you know, the first two episodes struggled a little bit and that you don't really get a sense of what they're trying to do with this season. And I think part of that is because Sarah Gamble does in fact hate Misha Collins, the actor, (laughs) and decided not to introduce Misha early on. But we get Misha in this episode, we get Castiel back, and we get the, you know... It's not the worst exposition dump this show has ever done, but it's a little bit of an exposition dump about, like, oh, Raphael wants to, you know, be the leader of hell and, like, I'm fighting against him. And must be the leader of hell. The leader of hell, yeah. (laughs) Well, they're buying souls now, so heaven is hell, yeah? 
Uh, no. <laughs> I misspoke, and I'm turning it into a joke. <laughs> but we get the whole, like, civil war and her heaven thing set up, and we get, you know, the whole Raphael is the worst choice, and Castiel's like, vote for me. And then we get Balthazar, which I, I'm just going to put this here. I am a fan of Balthazar. I don't know what the fuck they're planning on doing with this character, but, like, it's a stinky little man who's, like, morally great. Like, I love that shit. Like, I am here for funky little villains. Like, give me a funky little villain any day of the week. Sebastian Roche is also, like, just a very fun performer. Like, Katie, I don't know if you have strong opinions on Balthazar one way or another, but... Last time I watched the show all the way through, and the previous times I watched the show all the way through, I'm not a big Balthazar fan. Really? Yeah. But I feel like, you know, I wasn't a big Bella fan until recently, and now I love Bella. So, you know, my heart is open. I'm I'm open to having my mind changed. (laughs) No, I just love it. I love it when we get funky little, like, garbage, trash... They've got to be funky, though. That's the key thing. They can't just be trash. They've got to be funky, too. Yeah. Balthazar has funk in this episode. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny, actually. I was watching, obviously, the episode, but I was watching his intro, and, like, Cass walks into the room, and there's, like, the music and the lights, and I was like, oh, they were like, fuck, we killed Zachariah, and fuck, we killed Gabe, and I guess <laughs> we we'll just a new make one. a mishmash. <laughs> we'll give him a British accent and call him Balthazar. <laughs> I think that is the thing that I don't like about Balthazar is he does really feel like a Zachariah Gabe combo and like could have just not killed one of them. <laughs> I just kind of love it. Like I just think it's like the funniest combination of characters to like create this perfect little weirdo. <laughs> I think it's also just like it's a fun little thing of like you can feel the writers going, ah, oh, fuck. You know what I mean? <laughs> that is fun. That is a fun game. Balthy boy? I don't know, man. You're the queen of nicknames around here. Zah. I will say I see Balthy quite often. I think Balthy is relatively common in fic. Yeah. One thing that I wanted to point out right at at the top of the episode is that this is a Ben Edlund episode. It was directed by Robert Singer. We all know I love a Ben Edlund episode. And I do think that Robert Singer, regardless of what you want to say about, you know, meta stuff, I do think his direction is, like, very good, typically. And actually, we literally just recorded on KJ's a podcast with Supernatural Opinions, an episode. We did our monster movie over there, and it was also an Edland and Singer episode, <laughs> so I don't know how we've managed to do that. This really just came together. Double Edland Singer episodes just really all coming together. I love it for us. Well, we're in a bit of a lull. What do you think my PSA is this week, guys? Oh, I actually have a pre-prepared guest. Oh, you yeah, do? Yeah, never have. <laughs> do you have one, KJ? Is your PSA something about not parking underneath a window? No. no. <laughs> I don't know why I said no. You weren't asking me, but... <laughs> you just knew. <laughs> My PSA, guess, is you should grab something valuable and fake your own death. Like any any <laughs> negative situation you're in, nothing can't be solved by just grabbing the closest valuable item and faking your own death. <laughs> Honestly, great advice on how to survive in the supernatural So That's Bella fucking did it. Literally. Literally. <laughs> It's the Jason Mendoza supernatural equivalent of, like, throwing a Molotov cocktail to solve your problems. Like, this is the supernatural version. Honestly, good advice. Jamie, what is your actual PSA? My actual PSA this week was proper networking skills. Oh. (laughs) We all went really different directions. Yes. Very vastly different. I went very literal with my PSA. (laughs) I just took a direct quote. (laughs) I was surprised neither of you guys guessed ACAB. I do have another note that says, wow, this is ACAB the episode. I think I wrote somewhere, wow, Dean Winchester really hates God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a really fun ongoing trade for him. Remember in, like, the pilot when, like, Sam stepped on Dean's foot just for, like, mouthing off to the cops and now, mm-hmm. like, we've come a long way. Things have changed. I had it written in my notes, proper networking adequate, and I cannot remember what scene that was about now, so I'm doing great this morning. That's fine. The important thing is that you have PSA and both KJ and I were wrong. Yeah. And that's really what it comes down to. I had a mini PSA of don't drink and drive. Like there's a scene where a cop is drinking on duty in a police car. Oh my God. I have a question about that, right? Because I literally was like, okay, so he's sitting in the car and he's like drinking. And I'm like, all right, that's one thing. But he picks up the open container of alcohol. It's already open. It's theoretically sitting on his passenger seat. He picks it up, he pours it in, and then he just puts back down the open bottle. And I don't mean, like, it has a loose cap on it. I mean, there is no top No on. cap in sight. He did not unscrew or re-screw a cap. Like, it's just out there. It's just open on his passage. I'm like, 
Dude, you start driving, that's just going everywhere. That's just a bad idea. I think the idea, though, is that he's in a speed trap, so they don't typically go anywhere. If they catch someone speeding. And he see- someone speeds, and he says, oh, that's not fast enough for me to be worthwhile, and then he has a three. <laughs> yeah. And, like, also, like, if there's an emergency, like, a large emergency, it- you will get pulled off of speed trap duty and onto active emergency, and people will expect you to respond accordingly to that emergency, and you're- you've been drinking in your car all day. Yeah, to be fair, though, when we find out the reason why he's being targeted, fully not shocked yeah. uh, that he would not be great in an emergency situation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. turns out the reason that he's drinking is because he already sucked at an emergency situation. <laughs> Jamie, are you familiar with the fandom joke about not sleeping with Sam Winchester? Oh, uh, yes, Sam's, Sam's death dick? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like this episode is the film goes like, sleeping with Sam would be lethal but like when you offer to come back and not pay like i feel like that's that's just like enough to like spark curiosity i'd be like i'd risk it just to find out what he did to her that she was like gonna leave without getting paid it's her actual job i genuinely think this is very interesting though as a discussion because we've we've talked about this before i think we actually talked about it with august back in season four when we had the four nine and four ten and you have the Dean and Anna and the Sam and Ruby we were talking about how they have very different sex lives and like how it's actually really pertinent to their characters. I fully had Kate and Sam as demisexual. That is just where Sam lives in my brain. That's like really interesting actually as like a character point for Sam, but I was more in reference to just like the different ways that they are depicted in sexual encounters. Oh, absolutely. If you look at like Sam's very first on-screen sex scene is with Madison, the werewolf girl, and Dean's is with Cassie. There are some of those shots that are, like, very, very visually similar, but if you, like, watch just those two scenes, like, back-to-back to each other, like, oh, these are be- these two characters being portrayed very differently when it comes to sex. This episode, I think, is, like, particularly obvious, the distinction, because, like, we open on Dean having the dream about Lisa, and it's so domestic. I forgot that was a dream and I was like, oh, this is nice. And it's like very emotional. Like it's obviously like a connection happening. And then like with Sam and this lady in the episode, it's just like literally only physical and like nothing else. And the most recent person I think we actually saw him sleeping with was Ruby. And like the difference in that versus like Dean and Lisa is so apparent. It's so interesting to me, like, as like a weird continuation of like the differences in their character. But like, it's, it's interesting to me that this is something that is so explicitly laid out. Also, I know we talked about this when we talked about like Jared's acting, but like the way he's staring at her is just so creepy. Oh, the fact that he just stops talking. I hate it. Yeah, He, he clearly just wants her to leave and she's like not leaving because she's kind of interested in like going again, but like, go babe. You're not going to get anything else out of him. I mean, considering the number of sexually transmitted diseases people like giving him for funsies, she might get something else out of him. <laughs> I mean, she might suddenly die. So. <laughs> yeah, there's also that. It's a big risk. Do you think he discloses that? <laughs> I think he's got like a little pamphlet that he gives people. Just like, by the way, here are the risks. Like before he sleeps, just when he's like, you have to sign a waiver because like, I can't guarantee your safety. <laughs> Speaking of sudden deaths, the guy who dies at the very start of the episode. The blood guy? Yeah, and he just starts pulling his skin off and stuff. I, I just, I hate it. I hate it. Like, I think it's very effective. Any memory of anything except for, like, three very specific scenes from this episode out of my brain. And I was like, oh, I have zero memory of this happening. But this is a Ben Edlund episode, so I guess I should have just expected horror <laughs> deaths to be happening. In and amongst the, like, three scenes I remember. When he explodes and, like, you see the, like, look all over the floor, I was like, oh, this looks like a perfect decorative rug for a children's hospital. And I was like, all I could think about. <laughs> I will say that I think the special effects makeup they did was actually pretty good. Mm. The only thing is when he does peel, like, the little bit off his face, you can fully see the line of where the special effects makeup goes to. Yeah. I, it was it was pretty decent for Supernatural. <laughs> yeah, like the makeup itself is not bad. I was just like, oh yeah, no, you can see like the line of where the makeup ends. Also, actually the second death where the guy has like all the boils and stuff, I think that was relatively effective as well. Yeah, I wasn't a fan of that one, but 
I couldn't really explain why I wasn't a fan, aside from the fact that it was just uncomfortable. <laughs> I mean, all of it's uncomfortable. All of it's uncomfortable. <laughs> I feel like the, the, the placement of the boils changes from, like, shot to shot. <laughs> all I wrote was horrific boils. I wrote the least amount I could possibly write. I wrote horrific boils, and then I moved on to Gene and Ben. <laughs> Like, the fact that he has Ben's Halloween costume in the Impala, you know? Yeah. And also, I love that we have, like, the bit where he's on the phone and he's like, Ben, I know you're lying. Oh my god, it's so cute. And, like, Ben's gonna, like, broken something of Lisa's and doesn't want to tell her about it, which is just cute. He's such a dad. I know. And, like, the bit where he's like, he's like, Ben, I know you're lying. And there's, like, a beat where, like, you assume Ben's like, how would you know? And he's like, because I lie professionally. And it's just... I loved it. Great description of their job. Like, for, it's not saving people hunting things. It's just lying. It's just lying all of the time. <laughs> because that's how you become president. Like, <laughs> okay. I do want to say that I was very surprised. We've already got a soon this season. Oh, yes. With montage or- at the end. Normally they reserve these for like mid season. You were shooting down. <laughs> do we think that's why they also brought Kaz back this episode? Probably. Like, Sarah's like, I'm not having him in my show. And then they did the first two episodes. They're like, oh, no. And everyone's like, wow, the Campbell suck. Uh, where is Misha? Yeah. yeah. So they're like, we're, we're bringing Cass back. There are moments in this episode from Cass that are absolutely iconic. Wait, did you want to talk about the soon montage? or? <laughs> my notes about the soon montage are literally as soon this early in the season and Twilight question mark. <laughs> Okay. I don't think like, I have a soon montage on my streaming service. Oh, really? It's like, right, I was so tied into the end of the episode that I thought that it had actually just started playing the next episode. So it may, it may have been that you just, like, didn't even notice it. <laughs> was it after the credits? Maybe I didn't let the credits play long enough. It's normally before the credits, or at least it yeah. was for me. I feel like the soon montage is such an integral part of watching Supernatural. But no, did you have something you wanted to say about Really? I didn't even bother taking notes because I've rewatched season six. What was in it? There are some bits from like basically just episodes throughout the season. It's like lots of just like little single lines and stuff. This one, thank fuck, was not as spoiler full as the last one. Yeah, I I got. I figured it was must. It must be less spoilery than the previous one because neither of you are mad about it. (laughs) This was a lot more like we just had like a couple of lines from specifically next episode. There was a couple from. Live free or Twi hard, I think, which is obviously a Twilight reference. Where the Twilight question mark comes from. Yeah, so like there's a couple, like just sort of the next few episodes, I'm pretty sure, which is like pretty standard for them. They didn't have any major fucking character reveals in this one like last time, so it's basically just like a teaser. Okay, so I do want to say something, and I just like, I have a question. So they're doing the ritual. Sam straight up does not blink when Cass is like, yeah, I just got to torture this child a little bit which is a bit of a questionable decision. So they do the child torture and then they get the name Balthazar and then they do the ritual, right? Cass cuts Dean and gets the blood from Dean. Mm-hmm. And Dean's like, well, why didn't you use your own blood? And he goes, well, I'm not human. Do we think he specifically used Dean and not Sam because Sam is also not technically human? Like he has the demon blood. So regardless of like what's happened. Yeah, I think. Yeah, Sam's blood is probably just, like, permanently tainted, um, has been since he was a baby. I feel like it's come up before that Sam's blood is, like, a little bit funky. But also, I just feel like if Cass is gonna grab a Winchester and slice the, them open and, like, not get hit in the face, it's gonna be Dean. I mean, him and Dean do share a more profound bond. I wasn't gonna mention it. I forgot that that was in this episode, and then I was so happy that I was here for this episode. A lot happened in this episode. This episode, honestly, like, that whole sequence, everything that happens inside that motel room is insane for so many different reasons. But, like, specifically, like, what Jamie was just saying about the blood, I literally love. Cass does this whole little bit where he's like, I was ashamed, like, I expected more from my brothers, like, I'm sorry. And then he goes, now I need your blood, and just grabs his arm, cuts it without even fucking questioning. And then Dean's like, hey, use your own. He's like, eh, it wouldn't work. I'm not a human. And I'm like, I fucking love him. <laughs> I love him so much. I also think it's a fun reminder for both the audience and the brothers at this point that, like, oh, yeah, Cass is actually an entity. Do you need a periodic reminder that Cass is not just a dorky little guy that Dean Winchester keeps forgetting? Yeah, Especially considering at the end of last season, they were very much like, oh, well, Cass is a human now. 
And now it's like, oh, you know, he's back to like at least mostly full strength. Yeah, so he kind of lost a lot of his power in the last few episodes of season five. And then when he was resurrected, yeah, he basically came back like new and improved, I think. But I did want to talk about Cass just in general this episode because I do think he's a fucking icon. Like he was missing from the first two episodes of the season and you really fucking felt that loss. And now he's back and I'm like, this is what I've been missing. This is my baby. From beginning to end of the episode, he is perfect. Like he shows up and he's great. <laughs> Oh, I don't yeah. think he can be perfect. His people skills are rusty. <laughs> so funny. It's my favorite part of the air quotes in that scene. Everyone always talks about the people skills and the rusty with the air quotes. My favorite part is when he puts air quotes around the word year. <laughs> Cash doesn't matter time in years. <laughs> He's literally a millennia old. And I actually love, especially like what we were just saying, like drawing attention to the fact that, oh yeah, Cass is not just a funky little guy. Like he is an eternal being. He has the line within that sort of monologue where he says his people skills are rusty because he spent the last year as a multi-dimensional wavelength of celestial intent and it's like oh yeah in case y'all forgot what exactly real happened. quick question though what was jimmy doing for the year then i have the same question <laughs> i don't know if it's been explicitly covered but like there's basically no chance jimmy's alive he's been yeah. apart on this level basically twice already I think it's pretty explicit that Jimmy is dead. Jimmy's dead. Like, it's a body, and if, like, Kath isn't in it, I don't think we want to know why it's not, like, decomposing. Well, that was the thing. Like, that was more my question, which is, like, I know in later seasons, and this isn't really a spoiler, so I don't mind, like, elaborating, but we do get to see, like, within Heaven, like, we get to see characters engaging with the space that is Heaven. Like, and obviously, like, the special effects of Supernatural have never been much to write home about, so they literally just have, like, if Cass is in heaven, it's just Misha Collins. Like, it's not that, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're not like just CGIing some like fucking, you know. See, I was just imagining he was paying like for cold storage. <laughs> well, that's literally what I was going to say. Like, if that wasn't the case, like, where is the body? Like, is Jimmy just on ice? Ruby couldn't be out of her body for an extended amount of time because her body was like on life support and dying, like could not sustain life without her. You know how like John has like the secret storage container or whatever the fuck that they find in like one of the early seasons? Cass has one that's just like life support. <laughs> yeah, literally. Like he's just got like a makeshift hospital room or like he has his own private morgue. Like instead of having a PO box, he has like a morgue thing and it's just the chute to store the body in. I bet you Bobby has a morgue somewhere that Cass borrows. You're so right, actually. Like, they installed it in the panic room. They're like, this is just for, like, Jimmy's body. <laughs> I do think it's very fun because this episode, I made a tweet a while ago about how Cass will never show up if Sam calls because he's not Dean. I didn't realize I was kind of just talking about this episode. That's why that tweet went off. Yeah, I'm pretty sure people thought that, that this is what you were talking about. I was not. <laughs> you were just making a character assessment. It was an accurate character assessment that's now been confirmed by Canon. Very explicitly. I love the fact, though, that, like, Cass is like, well, why would I fucking show up? I had nothing to tell him. I know. Like, there is so no funny. point me spending the time to come down and be like, mm, I don't know why you're out of the cage. That is the most, like, autism neurodivergent coding that they could give Cass of being like, yeah, I, I didn't come because I had nothing to I feel like they really leaned into that part of his character, actually, this episode. Like, we get in multiple instances. Like, they're asking him questions. He's just like, I need myrrh. And he just disappears. Like, and then it comes back. <laughs> reappears and, like, behind them. If they're not talking about what he wants to talk about, he's like, well. <laughs> I also laughed at, like, I think we can rule Moses out as a possibility. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's so genuine in that moment. And it's like, okay, sweetie. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. But no, I did want to touch on, I know like we've kind of alluded to it, but obviously Dean prays for Cass to come down and Sam's like, you're an idiot. Dean's like, stay positive. Sam's like, oh, I'm positive. And then obviously there's a little bit of a delay. Sam goes into that like trope of he's right behind me, isn't he? And then Cass just goes, hello. <laughs> Jared is so funny. This, this is when Jared is like doing well. so angry and it's so funny. <laughs> I love that Cass, like, immediately thinks that the issue Sam is taking is that, like, he's missed some new lingo that the kids yeah. have dropped while he's been away. He's like, that is still the term, right? Like, He definitely thought the issue was that he said hello and not that he showed up for Dean and not for Sam. Right? Alternate and version of this scene where he shows up and he just goes, what's up? 
Three fun days. <laughs> I love, I love Jared's Misha impression. It's very funny. <laughs> it's so good. But then obviously we get Sam very explicitly into the point being like, so what, you like him better or something? And then we get the iconic line. Dean and I do share a more profound bond. I wasn't going to mention it. What's peak for me, though, is the profound bond is not why he's shown up for Dean and not for Sam. She then clarifies later. Yeah. But I just think it's so funny. Like, Sam has been calling this fucker for a year. A whole ass year. And he doesn't show up. But I honestly think this could be because Sam rejected his hug last season. Yeah. That was a very clear barrier. In Cass's mind, he's like, well, can't cross that boundary. That boundary has been been set. What I do want to, like, maybe touch on a little bit more, though, is, like, Cass's point, which is he didn't come to talk to Sam because he doesn't know what to tell him. He hasn't got the answers. And when, you know, talking about, like, the whole mystery of, like, how is Sam back and blah, 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 we have a little bit more information in the sense of Cass is saying, well, the angels don't know. We don't know who, we don't know what, we don't know why. It's all very mysterious. Something I think Cass brought up, which I think is one of the most fascinating storylines that just kind of exists in the background of Supernatural and, you know, occasionally brought up and (laughs) promptly forgotten. I think just Sam and Dean don't really give a fuck. But, like, Cass pointed out here is, like, Michael was just up in heaven ruling shit for, like, several millennia without God. And things were, you know, not great, but they were fine. Things were budding. And in the last two years, the Winchesters have completely fucked everything up. Heaven is in absolute fucking chaos. No one knows what to fucking do. Although, like, specifically, like, not the Winchesters, but, like, Cass. Cass! Cass has <laughs> fucked everything up. <laughs> like, we get it pretty explicitly from Balthazar in this episode. Yeah, it, it is Cass. The angels as a whole are gonna choose to shift that blame onto Sam and Dean, because, you know, they're mortals and therefore, like, less worthy of nuance. Uh, I think it's really interesting, though, that, yeah, we do get explicit canon confirmation this week that, like, yeah, no, Cass is the one who basically threw a Molotov cocktail into the heaven leadership structure. Yeah. And now yep. he's like, vote for me. <laughs> it's almost like a coup. Like, Cass was like, actually, what if I did it? <laughs> but we get this, the quote from Cass when he's talking to, to Balthazar about the weapons, and he's why take them? Why run away? And Balthazar says, because I could. You're the one who made it possible. The footsteps I'm following, they're yours. What you did, stopping the big plan, you did more than rebel. You tore up the whole script and burned the pages for all of us. It's a new era, no rules, no destiny, just utter and complete freedom. Dad's not coming back, so we may as well blow coke and jump on the bed. And I was like, I think that that is like a really interesting descriptor of like how the angels are taking their lack of discipline. (laughs) A new era, that's so Taylor Swift coded of him. Well, Cass is very Taylor Swift coded. So. <laughs> I think what's interesting about that is just the fact that it's like, even though they didn't have God, like dad wasn't home, they still had Dean, they still had Michael, you know, they still had someone of authority that was like keeping it together. Or and the threat of like, they could come home at any moment. Yeah. Honestly, isn't that exactly what Sam did too? Like the second that Dean was in hell, Sam fucking... That was where I was about to go. It's like, and now Michael is dead, just like Dean was in season four. And just like Sam, the angels are immediately making bad decisions. (laughs) Yeah. They're even making deals for souls. (laughs) I feel like the demons have been uh, just objectively have been having a better time for the most part. Like once you get through the bit where you've been tortured into being a demon in the first place, like I feel like, you know, it, it does feel like it's more fun being an angel like yeah apparently souls are really valuable and like they just get to like trick people into giving this up it's not even that hard you can uh, trick a 10 year old into wishing that they're sexually abusive parents would be dead and that's legally binding and fine <laughs> everyone knows minors are capable of signing contracts you know there's <laughs> yeah. no moral quandaries there actually i remember way back in like season one i think you asked something about like human souls or we were talking about it and i i actually want to say it was maybe in our episode on faith And I don't remember if maybe it even ended up in the episode because it was like, I was trying to explain soul stuff without getting into like this season (laughs) and being like, you know, trying to explain that like souls kind of function as currency almost in a sense. And there's an inherent power that comes along with a human soul. And like, obviously we got that a little bit with the, the demon deals and that, but now we're seeing it 
being utilized with with angels as well. Yeah. And so like that's really interesting, especially because like Cass says in this episode, like we've never seen this before. Like this is something new. Previously, souls were a currency that only demons traded in. Mm. And now it's yeah. kind of like it's spreading. Like other people are also adopting the same currency. Angels have access to human souls, like in heaven, but like they aren't using them. They haven't had a reason to use them as like as a currency before now. And they also don't like actually own them when they're in heaven. Like Yeah, no, they just go there. They're just there. They are under the angels' control, but they're not like actually owned by the angels. By virtue of not having explicitly sold your soul or, you know, presumably done anything too awful, you just kinda get to go to heaven and like the angels, I guess, can draw on that power if they so choose. It's not, I guess, really clear. Do you think, like, enticing people to believe in God is, like, the angel equivalent of, like, acquiring souls? All those people that the angels recruited in, like, season four and five when they were trying to keep an eye out on Dean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, like, this is, yeah, like, the most, like, active, like, acquisition um, of souls on like, an, on, like, an individual angel level. And also, I think, like, we obviously get the point this episode that heaven is kind of engaged in, like, a civil war. So up until now, the angels haven't really had a reason to be, like, looking for individual power one Mm -hmm. way or the other. Whereas, like, now it's like, oh, it's a civil war. Yeah, I gotta get power. Like, and that's why, like, Cass is looking for these weapons this whole fucking episode for the same reason. You know, he's obviously going about it in a different way he's not looking to trade for souls but he is looking to get power to have an edge over Raphael. over Raphael, yeah yeah and like we don't we don't really have any answers about like Cass being brought back but like Cass got brought back and like has angel powers again but like Raphael is still an archangel and like mm. all the archangels we've seen have been like above your regular angel skill level <laughs> So the odds are not really on his side, which makes me sad for my guy. <laughs> I just feel like this season feels like they're kind of setting up Cass to actually become leader of heaven and then get a whole villain arc as a result of that. Because like what he's doing at the end of the day to become leader of heaven is not good. He did uh, really casually uh, torture a child. Yeah. To be fair, Cass does not have the greatest track record to this point with children. Like, Cass attempted child murderer is not new. The other thing that Cass did in this episode that I was really not happy about him doing and I thought was pretty tone deaf of the writers. So when they're um, done the spell and they know where Balthazar is, Dean wants to take the kid home and Cass is like, don't you think the police will take him home? And I'm like, it took less than 30 days since three police officers murdered this kid's brother and covered up. Like, that's how we got here. The police will take him home. What are you talking about? I guess that that's like a lot of human nuance for Cass as a character, but like we could just be like, okay, yeah, we're going to take him home on the way. Like we could have just not had a discussion about it. Like it could have just been like, oh yeah, we'll drop him off on the way. Like they're teleporting. It doesn't take any time. And I also think it's bizarre to me that in an episode where they're clearly highlighting this issue with the police in particular, is that they're also kind of like, we're going to highlight this issue, but then we're we're just going to let it... Yeah, we're not going to finish it. Also, like, so they've left this kid who's unconscious. That Cass is just tortured. He's unconscious in a motel room that a dude just fell out of the window of and died. Like, this kid's at a crime scene, and he's a black kid, and his brother just got killed by the police. Like, it's very unsafe. It's so fucking messy. But I also think that it's very interesting, like, just the the dynamic between Dean, Sam, and Cass in this scene where Dean is the only one advocating for the safety and well-being of the kid and like Dean calls Sam out for it later but Cass has a line where he's like I understand that this is a terrible thing that I'm doing but I don't have the luxury to care Mm -hmm. you know and I think that it's interesting because Sam is sort of standing there like basically just not acknowledging that this is like a bad thing at all Cass is acknowledging that it's a terrible thing but he also feels like he just has to put up a wall and just not think about it and Dean is standing there like no no I cannot get past the fact that this is a terrible thing and it's like very three distinct sort of stances on it and I think it's interesting and Cass does feel bad like when they are at the wherever it is that Balthazar is and like the other angels show up and like Cass like begs and begs them not to fight him and then he like Mm -hmm. after he kills one of them he's like why won't any of you listen to me 
He's clearly upset. He doesn't want to be fighting them. But he has to because he doesn't want to be dead either. He's done that. It wasn't great. I also think before we get off uh, the topic of the kid whose name I think was Aaron. I wanted to say it was either Aaron or Eric. Something in that. He has a line when he's explaining that it was an angel that he traded his soul with. He said, those liars killed my brother, meaning the cops, and nothing bad even happened to them. It's not fair. So I prayed to God every night that he would punish them. God didn't answer, but he did. He said I could have justice, but I'd have to take it myself. And I think that that particular line is very interesting to compare to all three of our trio. Like this concept of like, I prayed to God every night that he would punish them and God didn't answer, but like something else did. And they said I could have justice, but I'd have to take it myself. Like for Sam, that's Ruby. For Cass, that's kind of himself. Like God wasn't answering, so he just took it upon himself. And like for Dean, it's kind of Cass. He was crying out for help for John and, you know, then later to God and neither of them answered him, but Cass did. And so it's like an interesting kind of like, I don't know, like that particular little monologue just was interesting to me as a lens to look at the three of of Team Free Will. Also, I just feel like this is not at all relevant to anything, but it's a very fun fact. Balthazar, the name, like, isn't really ascribed to an angel in the Bible, but, like, it is ascribed to, like, this dude who was a king, and he gave Jesus the gift of myrrh, and I just thought it was interesting that it was in the spell to find him. (laughs) Um, I thought that was a cute little detail. I think this episode is really interesting, but I feel like a lot of it just went straight over my head. Like, this is going to be an episode that's really foundational and setting up the plot for the season, but I just don't think I really understand what they're doing yet. So it's like, I just don't think I picked up what they were putting down. You know what I mean? That's fair. I definitely think this is an episode that once you've finished the season, and I was thinking this when I was watching it, I was like, oh, when you've finished the season and you come back to this episode. I find that this season as as a whole is one that is better on rewatch. In some I ways. think like, Obviously, like, it's an ongoing discussion about, like, what individual writers were doing across, like, seasons and things. I think the fact that this is a Ben Edlund episode is very, very important inherently, given some of the other things that he's written for this season. And certainly once we get to some of his later episodes, going back to this one, it's like, oh, okay. Like, this is clearly a plot that you specifically were handed and asked to handle. (laughs) Yeah. And you have very clearly sort of sown seeds here. And so once we're getting to later Edland episodes this season, I think that coming back to this one is it's very specifically interesting. But like I I can totally appreciate what you're saying, which is like the first time you're watching it through, there's like very fun parts. Like there's all like the cast stuff and Balthazar that And like it's very clearly doing something. Like I can tell that they had a plan. You're like I the can, cogs are wearing I can see the cogs, but I just don't actually recognize them. You know what I mean? Like I was shocked how many things were introduced in this one. Like, as I was watching, I was like, a lot is being put down. (laughs) Like, a lot of things are happening for the first time right here. Oh, yeah. Look, Ben Edlin doesn't get a lot of screen time to play with, but when he does. Yeah. Also, I want to make a note here that we also get the information from Cass. Speaking on soul lore, we get that when a claim is made on a living soul, it leaves a mark. A brand. And I'm like, that is so interesting that you say that, Cass. Where have we seen a brand before? Hmm. Let me think. (laughs) Let me think real hard. What gets me is, like, obviously you're talking about the handprint. Yeah. Right. But he's also just physically carved his name into their ribs. Yeah. Those two Winchesters do fucking belong to Cass. Like, they (laughs) carved that right into their fucking bones. Oh, okay. One other thing that... I particularly enjoy about this episode is the moment when Cass says, I believe the hairless ape has the floor. (laughs) I just love that line. And I think it's very well delivered. And I think that it's a very like fun, like pointed moment. Yeah. I like when Cass repeats things that other people have said, either to get back at them or like, just, just proves that he understands what's happening. I I thought Cass did really good at navigating that whole Balthazar versus Winchester's moment. He was like, okay, they're mad and they're right. But also, like, we're still going to let him go because he did just, like, save my life. (laughs) Also, I just want to do a quick shout out to when they ask him, why are you buying up human souls anyway? His response is, in this economy, which I say all the time. Like, (laughs) (laughs) 
It's like one of my favorite fucking bits that I actually use in like my daily life. And I always forget that he says it. It is giving me leverage villain being like, buying a congressman is the best investment you can make in this economy. Yeah. <laughs> I did have a question though, which is like, how the fuck did they get the holy oil around Balthazar? Like, yeah, don't worry about it. You are watching Supernatural. I'd like to propose a fun game, especially for JB as a first time watcher. How many times can this show reference Lot's wife, who doesn't have a, her own name, in various ways that don't connect to each other whatsoever? Pillar of Soap. I can think of at least two more. Like off the I top of my head. I've never really thought about it that hard, but I believe you. <laughs> I can think of one from season 11, I think it is, and one from, I want to say, season 14. And that's just off the top of my head. I was like, what the fuck? Can we agree on what happened to Lot's wife or not? <laughs> I've also only ever watched either of those seasons through once. That's fair. To be fair, I've only seen most of this show through once. So. <laughs> <laughs> can I talk about Sam? In a silly, goofy way, and not just him doing pull-ups. <laughs> Absolutely. First, I do, I do want to know if Jamie has any thoughts about the sideburn hair situation that's going on because I do think that the suits were really good in this episode, but the sideburns really hit me after only watching like season four content recently. I was like, whoa! I gotta believe that Jared wants the sideburns, and like he's not being forced against his will to have those sideburns, like. <laughs> I just think that these particular sideburns are really bad. We haven't even hit season eight yet, KJ. You're really, you can't have a problem with them now. The problem starts now and it just doesn't I was going to say they grow in for another two years. <laughs> I think personally, Jared peaks either in the season 14, like the first two episodes, or the end of season 13. There's one episode where Sam wears two of my favorite outfits he's ever worn. He looks fantastic. Every other episode... It just wishes it could be that (laughs) in terms of his hair. But I was like, after watching like season four, I was like, wow, these sideburns have gotten out of hand. But also like, I forgot that this was the episode where we had the end of Sam's car. And I was like, really just like enjoying the little like racing scene. I think that's so petty and funny. I'm actually a big fan of Sam's car, but I am a little bit concerned about where it came from in canon because like it's a 2006 Dodge Charger. It's 2023 and these things are still worth twelve to $34,000. I think it's safe to say he just took it. <laughs> you know, like, I think, I think he just took it from someone, KJ. Really suits him. I think it's a great car for him. And then I forgot that this was the episode that they wrote Sam's car out. And I'm like, they could have just like sold the car off or honestly left it somewhere. No, I think it's hilarious that it gets destroyed. I also honestly think it's so funny that, like, Cash throws himself out of a window and Dean's like, thank God that car is fucking gone. And Sam was like, my car. Like, (laughs) neither of them are like, is Cass okay? It's just like... Honestly, like, that whole car thing was part of the reason that Dean didn't punch Cass in the face because, like, Cass got up from that five to seven story drop onto the car and was fine. (laughs) Uh, I do actually wanted to talk about the, like, car a little bit because... When they have that little fucking race, and Dean's like, I wasn't racing. Yeah. When they get out of the car, the simultaneous door closing. Like, it is... Oh, so insecure. And it brings me so much joy. But, like, specifically because it's just very enjoyable to watch, and it's very satisfying. But also because it brings back so many memories of me and Jamie sitting in her fucking car outside my house, recording our intro and outro noises for this podcast. Because, <laughs> like, we probably spent an hour... Like, my neighbours must have thought I was insane. We kept on going, oh, no, we've got it. Like, that's it. We're done. And they'll be like, one more. And it was literally just an hour of us sitting out on the street, turning on and off Jamie's car and trying (laughs) to sync up us clicking seatbelts and closing doors. And it was, we must have looked like literally lunatics. I've seen bloopers of them where they're supposed to, like, both get in on either side and, like, close the doors. But, like, how many, how many takes do you think it was to do this little, like, down the street and out of the car like it's in things like that it looks great it looks incredible part of me wonders if like it was just an absolute fluke and they got it in one because it's yeah like so the stand-up good. coffee cup when john dies yeah <laughs> <laughs> i just think it's funny that they had to write the car out like i also have questions about what happened to ruby's car because ruby had a great car where did that go wait what's that a charger also i honestly i know for some people, cars are, like, a thing, but I just could not give less of a shit. Like, 
I recognize the Impala, but I could not have told you what kind of car Sam was driving in this episode. I'm like, I have no idea how it differs from any other car that anyone else drives. So I'm appreciating the fact that you recognize the distinction between I just them. had to check to make sure that Ruby's car wasn't Sam's car, painted a different color. It's not. Ruby's car was a Mustang. Of all the guests that we ever have on this podcast, <laughs> you always come with research. <laughs> You never don't come with research. I'm constantly Googling like that in my day-to-day life about random shit all the time. <laughs> Me and Beth are like, well, we could look it up. Or we could not. Nine times out of ten, if we're looking stuff up, we'd look up stuff during the recording. So you're just getting out, like, live reaction. <laughs> I wanted to briefly talk about the scene at the end of the episode where Dana's calling Sam out for, like, not caring about torturing a child. and. I specifically want to talk about it just in the capacity of an ongoing discussion Jamie and I've been having, which is about Dean prioritizing the means where Sam prioritizes the end. And so like for Sam, he's like, well, we needed the information. So we got the information. Like it doesn't really matter how we achieved that goal. Whereas for Dean, like it's a very small scene that I think very well encapsulates that discussion that we've been having for like seasons at this point, which is like, Dean is like, I don't really care how much we need the information. The means that you want to use to get it are unacceptable to me. And we will find a different way to get this information. The only reason that they go ahead with getting the information in that way is because Cass fully overrides what either of them think and just doesn't. And Sam doesn't even try to argue against it. Yeah, exactly. It's like, even if Dean wanted to make the argument, it's two against one, like he can't. Mm. I think that also carries over to like the... That conversation just, like, kind of turns into, like, an overall, like, mental health and, like, post-hell mindset conversation. And I think, yeah, again, I think ends versus means is exactly it. Sam's like, well, I'm fine. It doesn't matter how I'm fine. I'm fine. Whereas Jean's like, well, you shouldn't be fine. How are you fine? Dean was like, I've mysteriously been raised from hell. Maybe I should track that down this exact episode. <laughs> Sam was like, it's fine if I went in. Jean's like, well, I wasn't fine. I'm still not fine. Like. How did how did you get fine if you're fine? And Sam's like, doesn't matter, I'm fine, so don't worry about it. <laughs> I also think what is really, really interesting about this particular conversation, and I have I'm fairly certain it's probably not what Ben Edlund was trying to get across, but it's what I took from the scene. So, you know, subjectivity and all that. But this concept of what impact a traumatic event will have on one person is not necessarily the same impact it will have on another, even if it's the same or a very similar traumatic experience. Like Sam makes the point where Dean is saying, you know, I've been to hell. I know what it does to a person. And Sam's like, "Mm, no, you know what it does to you, but I'm not you. And it doesn't matter that they went, both went to hell. Not only did they go under very different circumstances. I think that it doesn't make sense for them to have at all similar experiences. Like, well, so they went to very different places in hell. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Very different company. Mm Mm-hmm. It's interesting to me, like, I understand Dean saying to him, like, if anyone is going to be able to relate to you or understand what you're going through, it's most likely going to be me. Because, yeah, he does have the closest comparable experience, but it's still quite removed from the experience Sam had. And even if you do just want to look at it as a blanket, they both went to hell and forget about the nuance of where they were and why and, and bits and pieces. It is still really interesting to me as a point that it's like, just because you've experienced the same or a similar thing does not mean it's going to impact you in the same way. And so I thought that that was just an interesting point. Whether or not it was an intentional one, I still think it's like an interesting... I feel the same about like their experiences being raised by John. Yeah, actually, that's a great point. Yeah, to like feel slightly more relatable example than hell torture. Than hell. (laughs) I also think it's just like Dean's not actually making the point of, oh, well, you're not reacting like me, so therefore something must be wrong. It's like... You're not reacting at all. Mm. Yeah. Like, Which is also like a super valid concern. Like when it comes to yeah. mental health, the thing you're looking for is a change. And that is certainly what we're seeing. Mm. Yeah. It's like you're acting weird. Like you don't seem to have the same moral compass that you used to have. It's all of these things. And he's like, you're not really reacting in any sort of way you'd anticipate after going to hell, which is like by and large, not the greatest indicator of like, poor mental health because no one can really predict how anyone's going to react to anything but it is concerning that sam seems to very very specifically be saying i'm okay it's fine i'm over it like you don't need to worry about me it's like well 
You know who said that a lot for like six episodes? In season four. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Dean knows all about, you know, hiding the fact that you're not coping well with something. And then you've got Sam who's very clearly not coping well with something, but he refuses to admit that he's not coping well with it. Which is also interesting because Sam has a habit as a character of just kind of like reaching a point where we've talked about how he's very volatile as a character just generally. Yes. But he tends to reach a point where he just like, it just explodes out of him. Mm-hmm. You know, when he says to Dean, like, I'm a whole new level of freak. Like, that's a really good example of him just being like, I've been dealing with this shit and it's making me, and Sam, actually, this is another thing, usually reacts with anger as like a first like when he's overwhelmed and he can't handle it, he just like explodes out of him in like this bout of aggression almost. And Dean, typically we see him have like not such aggressive outbursts. Like when he talks about how hell, he's a hell experience, he's like breaking down. It's a very quiet scene. There's no real outburst. It's just kind of like very somber and like emotional. Whereas Sam has a very emotional response, but in a different way. And at the moment, Sam's not doing either. And considering that he, up to this point, has been a character who's been very much on board with, like, no, we need to talk about, you know, the trauma experience and, like, we need to work through it. For him to just be like, I don't want to talk about it and also seemingly have no emotional response whatsoever. Like, yeah, that's weird for Sam specifically. Yeah. Did anyone else have any points that they would like to make before we wrap up? I think I'm pretty well done. I think I'm pretty well done as well. Cool beans. I had just two things that I wanted to very quickly mention. Number one, that Dean gets food from a place called Burger Heaven this week's episode. And I just think that's interesting. I did not notice that at all. (laughs) (laughs) Number two, when Dean asks, what did you do that for? And Cass says portability and the like fucking zoom out. Like I know that the like kidnapping and like how they end that scene is terrible. But the intro to that scene is kind of hilarious. I will give them that. That just about does it for me as well. So, Jamie and KJ, how would you rate this week's episode, The Third Man, out of five? I think I'm going to give it a three and a half. I certainly think we've had better episodes in the past. I don't think it's a bad episode. I just, I feel like too much of it went over my head for me to actually enjoy my viewing experience. Like, it felt very much like a setup episode, which, like, I'm just not typically a fan of. Like, I think set-up episodes work way better when you go back and revisit them versus on the first watch through. I mean, it has a higher rewatchability, but I would argue that there is enough in this episode that you can enjoy as a first-time viewer that I still would class it as, like, an above-average episode, just personally. Like, all of the cast stuff is, like, fucking peak. Oh, yeah, see, I like when Cass is on my screen, but he's not always on the screen. That's the issue. KJ, how would you rate the episode? I think I'm going to go with a solid three. The parts that are good are really good. I think it didn't really follow through on its ACAB-ness. I feel like it sets up a lot. Like, I, I was kind of shocked. I'm like, oh, whoa, this is this is new information this episode. This is new information this episode. And, like, it's a lot of setup, and this season deals with a lot of setup, even though it's, like, single season arc. I think it works when you're done the season, but I do like see how Jamie's viewing experience is like not the most ideal because so many of the episodes of the season are like here's a teeny little thing like I think that season six in general has quite a high rewatchability in the sense that they do like have a lot of episodes that's kind of like this where it's like oh like you go back and you're like that makes a lot of sense now like there's a lot of different plots happening concurrently which is very different to what we've had because for Kripke era, like, we had basically one huge plot that kind of was overarching for that entire sort of mm-hmm. portion of the series. So, like, yeah, there were individual bits, but they all tied into the one major plot. Whereas, like, this season thus far feels like lots of different plots being introduced concurrently. Like, I suppose what I mean is in Kripke era, like, season one had a plot, season two had a plot, season three had a plot, but all of that tied into the one plot. Season six, I can think of at least three separate plots, four separate plots we've got going. We've got whatever the fuck Samuel's doing and the Campbells are doing. We've got whatever the fuck happened with Sam and him coming back. We've got Heaven Civil War and we've got Dean Ben Lisa. All at the same time. Beyond (laughs) anything else, we already have those four major plots happening and we're only in episode three. 
And like, also between, like, some of those plots you could break down even further to, like, yeah. four plots within those plots. Like, the, the Heaven Civil War thing. Yeah. is isn't just Heaven Civil War. It's, you know, Cass is kind of missing. He's kind of AWOL. Mm-hmm. They don't know what he's doing or what's happening with him. They've got the whole Raphael thing. Now they've got a Balthazar thing that they've just introduced. They've introduced that angels are selling and buying Buying human souls. souls. Like soul politics is another thing you can Other angelic weapons out there that exist that are just loose in the world. (laughs) They found a piece of Moses' staff this episode. Like who who knows how many fucking pieces there are or where else they ended up. Or what other weapons were in that room. (laughs) Is it a room? Can it be a room? <laughs> They're angels. <laughs> I don't know, man. It's like the fucking gaslighting room. <laughs> what is the physical location of their physical weapons? <laughs> They're not physical people. I don't want to. Buried in a playground sandpit somewhere. But <laughs> <laughs> it is hard to reflect on it as a first-time viewer when you're not a first-time viewer. But like, I can see how having all of those concurring plots and also not knowing how any of them play out and just kind of having like the bare minimum information it feels like a lot is happening but also nothing is happening or how any of them could possibly tie together aside from the fact that sam dean cast all know each other (laughs) yeah (laughs) one thing i will say on that though as well is like something that i think i mentioned last week which is this season very much feels like it's being told from dean's pov because we're getting as much information as the audience as dean has because we only really know as much about what happened with Sam as Sam is telling Dean. And we only know how much of what is happening with Heaven and Cass as Cass is telling Dean. And that's it. We don't really have any other insight into what is happening in other areas of these characters' worlds, except what Dean is privy to. And also the audience is kind of swayed to being on Dean's side in a lot of the tensions because, like, the audience doesn't want Cass to torture a child. Audience objectively knows that child torture is wrong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and so I think it's interesting how like Dean is kind of functioning as the audience stand in. Yeah, I think that's necessary. Like just by virtue of like what those two plots are. Like you can't give us that information. Oh yeah. So, like yeah. So there's really no other way around that unless we spend more time with Bobby. Yeah, true. <laughs> season six is actually the Bobby protagonist season. <laughs> Then it can be Bobby's POV, but because Bobby's not here, it has to be Dean, because Dean's the only one who doesn't fucking know anything about what's going on. Speaking of which, that is a nice segue into the next little question I have, which is predictions for next week. So next episode is titled Weekend at Bobby's. Jamie, do you have any thoughts, feelings, hopes, dreams, fears, or predictions? So I reckon KJ's just told me literally what it's about. We're following <laughs> Bobby... He's he's having a nice day. Like he's just chilling. I think he's Bobby's vacation. You know, Bobby's, the... Bobby's going on vacation, you know? Well, he's at least trying to, and they keep on calling him up with stupid fucking issues that they could solve themselves if they just thought about it for two seconds. <laughs> That's so valid. And do you think Cass will be in next week's episode? No. Just because Cass and Bobby are a character pairing that I typically associate. And it's literally called Weekend at Bobby. So I'm I'm assuming we're focusing on Bobby. I do think we might get, like, Rufus or someone, though. Or maybe Jodie. I would fucking love to see more Cass Bobby content, though. Mm. I do feel like they're a very fun, like, duo when we get to see them. Anybody else, like, Jamie brings up a good point with, like, Rufus or Jodie. But, like, there are a lot of people Bobby knows that we've probably never met, that we've probably, like, heard of. If if we're going to have an episode that's not solely focused on Sam and Dean Winchester, like, meet some people that Sam and Dean Winchester don't fucking know. (laughs) (laughs) If it is fully Bobby content, though, Noah's going to eat well. You're so right. You just like DM him like, no, I know spoilers, but you're going to motherfucking love this episode. (laughs) (laughs) So that just about does it for this week's episode. Thank you so very much for listening. Hopefully you have had as much fun listening as we have had recording. KJ, thank you very much for joining us yet again. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're welcome. And if you want to let the people know where they can find you if they want more of your content. Yeah, I mean, you can listen to Supernatural Opinions anywhere where you're listening to this podcast. And I'm at SPN Opinions Pod on Twitter and at SPN Opinions KJ on TikTok. Wonderful. Okay. So, if you did want to get in contact with us outside of listening to us while in your ear for an hour or so every week, you can always hit us up on any of our social medias, all of the links for which will be in the description below along with links to all of KJ's bits and pieces too. If you want to check them out, we would highly recommend if you haven't already. 
Suggested conversation topics do include favorite cast moments. I'm just, I'm putting it out there as a blanket because I love him this episode. I think he's iconic. And actually, quick shout out to Misha. His comedic timing is just fucking gold. I want to know if the finger quotes were in the script. We could probably find out. Like, if you know, if that was like an ad lib acting thing or if that was actually in the stage direction, I would love to fucking know. Oh, if you do watch this episode, you know, recently in the future or anything like that, count how many future plot things that I just fully miss. Don't tell me what they are, obviously, but just be like, oh, yeah, no, that is going to be important later. Oh, yeah, no, that is vital. That is, just tell me how many plot reveals that I did, in fact, miss this week. <laughs> and hopefully we have you back next week for Season 6, Episode 4, Weekend of Bobbies. Bye. Bye.